I've never been to uh, my high school reunion, so I've heard of their existence. <laughs> the, the people I was, um, I graduated college like the year, the year before Facebook came out, so it's one of those weird things in my generation. We got to already awkwardly connect with people we had hoped to forget about. Um, <laughs> But I, bet, I remember, like, I remember, like, my family, I think I remember going with my mom to one of hers in, like, Jackson um, a long time ago, but, like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't paying attention. I've seen them a lot in movies, though. Um, they really work well in movies in this kind of idea because they give this wonderful opportunity for the, flat, the awkward flashback. And so you have, like, up, you know, this kind of, like, really successful professional, they're doing da-da-da-da-da, and it's, like, flashback 20 years ago. They were awkward, just like you. And they're awkward, and they kind of see a bully or something like that, and then they're like, I don't know, I don't know if I can see Joe, he was so mean to me, and it turns out Joe was really nice, his life has changed, it's really wonderful. Um, I don't know if that's happened to any of your unions, if the bullies have all been, um, changed their lives around, um, but it's a pretty stark thing to see someone and then not see them again for 20 more years, um, and how, or 40 more years, or 60 more years, however long it may be, and then what your expectations of who they are and who they could be, and what the reality of who they are is. A lot of times in our lives, the, most of the people in our lives are the people we're going to continue to see in our lives. Um, and the people we don't want in our lives, we kind of veer around and adjust. And so we don't have to come into as much contact with them. And I say that um, because we don't usually see a lot of people change. I think in a, in a general way that we usually see the people in our lives that are continuing to do that. Children are different, though, because children you see grow. You might see kids once a year. It's like, oh, my gosh, you've grown. And they're like, yes, I have grown. You're <laughs> uh, or you see someone who's a baby, and then 10 years later, they're having a conversation with you. It's like, last time I saw you, you were a baby. And it's like, this means nothing to me. Um, it's their response. But that kind of, the idea of, of changing and changing a life is really powerful, but oftentimes seems very distant from us. The whole idea of like going one direction and then they're, they're changing. It's the idea of the going back and seeing the bully and they're, they're no longer a bully now. And now they run a, a, a bully's nonprofit fighting bully <laughs> <laughs> If only it could be like that. My brothers and sisters, we are starting a new sermon series on the Apostle Paul. Who is Paul? That is, that is the point of the series. Paul is an enigmatic figure in the Bible. He wrote a large portion of the New Testament. But a lot of people don't like him. <laughs> they have this kind of aversion to him. A few, about 20 or 30 years ago, there was a kind of trend in, in for some scholars to say that Paul is the one who ruined Jesus. Um, that Jesus was kind of cool, and then Paul came along and turned him into this religion, and that was that's when everything went south after that. Like all sorts of the ways kind of Paul talks and he writes, and how, how we can understand that today. And so I want to take a few weeks to, to look at him and to try and see a few different perspectives on Paul and how we, can, how we can learn from that and how applicable it is for us today. And the three perspectives I want us to look at are Paul as a convert, Paul as a friend, and Paul as a messenger. And today we're going to look at Paul as a convert. And we need, it's, he gives us a really interesting portrayal of convert. And this, the passage from Galatians that Jim read is, is pretty, pretty funny in this, that um, Anna's mom, Liz, was reading the scripture this week, and she was like, gosh, Paul seems so arrogant. <laughs> and um, and he, he kind of does. He kind of comes off as cocky. And you read it, and you're like, man, you're full of yourself, aren't you? 
for I want you to know, you have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. Um, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own people. I was very advanced, you know, in Judaism. I'm Paul. Yes, hello. Nice to meet you. I was far more zealous of the others. He doesn't seem like a guy you'd want to hang out with that much. They're like, you're, you're at a party. It's like, oh, great, Paul showed up. Like, this is, what are we going to talk to him about? He's, he's probably going to yell at us for our shoes or something. Um, he's, not, he's, not this, like, he's not like dripping charisma. that You're like, gosh, that guy, he's awesome. I want my life to be like that. It's more like, he's kind of strange and rude. Um, it gets a little deeper than that, but I think sometimes a Paul is similar to John Wesley in this very attribute of being, like, not really a great hang. Um, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. He doesn't seem like someone, again, like, if he came to the party, you'd be like, okay, I think i got to go now. I don't really want to talk to him. But this is super important because the point of Paul's ministry, the point of John Wesley's ministry, is that it's not about them. What they're, they're writing and what they're doing is not saying, you should all be like me, but God is so amazing, he uses a tool like me. <laughs> He uses someone, like a tool in both senses. <laughs> he uses to get the message across that the point of faith is not that we're going to find these charismatic leaders who are going to keep us from thinking for ourselves and tell us that. That doesn't work. And over and over through the centuries, different times, Christianity has been challenged by this, been challenged by the rise of a charismatic figure that, that centers everything about themselves. Um, and is like just so, you know, so great with the people and so personable and all these qualities that Paul and John Wesley do not have. Nobody ever accused them of being personable. Um, that was not what was going on. Instead, God was working in their awkward social behavior to transform the world. Um, because you don't have to be self-actualized to be a messenger of God. You don't have to have everything, all your ducks in a row. You don't have to have the latest app or the latest um, diet in order for God to use you. In fact, often enough, God uses those people who feel like they're the least qualified, who feel like they don't have the words to say. All throughout scripture, nobody that God calls on is like, you're right, God, I'm ready. I felt ready. I was born for this. <laughs> nobody ever says that. Even Jesus. It's like, really, God? <laughs> Moses, David, Anna, Isaiah, Jeremiah, over and over again, Mary, Deborah, they all are like, really? Okay, sure. <laughs> and the power of God is revealed in that. Paul is not only a socially awkward dude, he was, he was a persecutor. He was a causer of trauma. <laughs> He, he hurt people. It wasn't just he was like an internet troll. He was the guy who went to the house and like threw the bricks. He was the guy who stood outside the stoning of Stephen. He was the guy who organized. Probably people died. Early Christians died because of him. And that is hard. And so usually we see the, the conversion of Paul in this great, in the book of Acts, it describes this great, the Damascus Road experience. He was on the Damascus Road. He was going this way. He had a vision of Jesus, and he was blinded. He was blinded. He had this vision of God, and he was blinded, and he turned his life around. So there's one miracle in that. And I think there's another miracle going on, just as powerful when the early church accepted him. Saw him is, 
is the guy who had been persecuting them, who had been arresting them, who had been stoning them. The guy who was a Roman citizen and, and a Pharisee. So he got like all of the authorities. He got like Pilate and, and the chief rabbis together. It was like both of those together, all in one, pushing down. And then God changed him. And then the church accepted him. There's power in that. And that is hard. It's hard hard to get to that point and see it. I have never been directly persecuted in the way that Paul persecuted um, the church. When I lived in Australia, I was made fun of for being American. um, And people would would throw apples at me at at recess. This is a good trick. If you want to be, a, this is another one of those former bully tricks. That if you get an apple and you bruise it around, but it doesn't break the skin, if you throw it at someone, it explodes. Oh, no. um, this, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It would be hard for me to accept the forgiveness and the sorry from these people. Like, thankfully, I don't even remember them. That, I just remember the apple trick. Um, but I remember, I know, I know my parents remember how traumatized I was during that time. Um, and I have these, these, these bat past memories. A lot of people, a lot of you have experienced traumas in your life um, that are real and concrete. A lot of people in this world continue to do that. There is amazing power and miracle being able to see past that. And I think that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is not a thing that if you're a good person, you're going to forgive. Forgiveness is a miraculous indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I think too often we kind of turn forgiveness into this guilt thing. That, oh my gosh, you should forgive. That person said sorry, you should forgive. Now you got, can't bring it up. I was talking to, to another person who in their faith tradition, in their, their um, denomination, if you say you're sorry, you can't ever bring it up again. <laughs> That's the rule. If, if someone hurts you and, you and you accept their apology, if you bring it up again, now it's your fault. Um, which I'm thankful that is not our tradition. Uh, but it's still like there, that, is, that is sometimes kind of under, under the radar that, you know, um, sometimes we say, we accept someone's apology, but we're still hurt. Oftentimes, if someone hurts us, the pain doesn't just disappear. It's like, oh, you're sorry, no worries, okay. There you go. That's not how life functions. And so there is this, this trauma that Paul caused. He was not a great dude. And yet God found him and chose him and turned his life around. Who does Paul seem more like, the Pharisee or, or the tax collector? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. Um, Vicky preached on this wonderfully last week, and the point of me doing it this week is not, ha ha, look at me. Um, <laughs> it's that we, we need a lot of perspectives. This is a really powerful text, and there's a lot of ways of looking at it. And I think it's good to come at it from a different angle. Um, it starts off with this really kind of interesting, um, to like, aside by, by Luke. He told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. <laughs> so we already know who the audience is. Um, it's people who are full of themselves. And so one way of seeing this is we see, okay, you know who's full of himself? Paul. We already got that, right? <laughs> Paul, he's better than everyone else. Like, I'm more than you guys. Um, but you know how, who else is full of themselves? And this is where we need to always, like, turn the searchlight towards ourselves. Because, and I'll begin with myself, there are, there are times when I trust myself that I'm righteous and I hold others in contempt. When I was at, at the World Series, 
It's like, gosh, those national fans, they're so rude. Um, I was at a, my kid's soccer game on, on Saturday, and they were getting clobbered, which is fine. It's, it's six-year-old soccer. Like, like, one good kid is, like, all you need, and you're just... <laughs> um, but the other team was kind of like their parents were making fun of them. Um, which, yeah, yeah, oh, exactly, yeah, make me feel better. Um, but it's also, like, that doesn't, that doesn't help. When I'm thinking, like, I feel wrong to that, and it's not a real wrong, it's six-year-old soccer. Like, there shouldn't, there's nothing really going on. But, like, I don't need to be holding them in contempt in that, in that kind of way. And I, I'm holding myself, dear God, thank you, I'm not like those parents who make fun of other kids. Um, I do this, I do that. I'm not like those thieves and those rogues and those adulterers, even that tax collector. And so the way that we need to see ourselves as, as the Pharisee in this, no matter who we are, and receive that truth word for ourselves. And it's not one of those things that we need to like stand up and be like, I am a Pharisee, I'm going to change my ways. We need to look inward and see what are the ways that we are holding others in contempt. What are the ways that we're standing on our own righteousness? Because what we see with Paul even though he's not a great hang, he holds it on Jesus Christ. What he has received is not from himself. He doesn't say, I, Paul, who is awesome, made all this up. But God offered this to me to share with you. Over and over again throughout his letters, he said, boast not in yourselves, but boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because whenever we're holding ourselves as righteous, we are not boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ and holding and pointing to him. There's something, there's something powerful in that. And so we can see Paul as the Pharisee. We can also see Paul as, as the tax collector who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tax collectors, as, as, is often, as, as Vicky mentioned last week, as is often preached on this, were not people who were liked by society. They were usually um, collaborators of some sort, and so they were usually Jews who worked with the Romans, um, usually skimmed off the pot. They were not people who someone wanted to be like. But in this instance, Jesus lifts him up. God be merciful on me, a sinner. Because to God, there are not as many things fixed about our identities. What is fixed about our identities, what is in concrete about who we are, is that we are created by God and we are loved by God. And these other things that we, we tell ourselves that this is who I am, they can change. That we tell ourselves, you know, we, we get into these habits and these, these ruts that this is who I am. And I go to this restaurant on Monday and this place on Tuesday. And I do my crosswords on Wednesday and I do this and I do that and I make this visit. And then when something like that goes away, we don't know who we are anymore. This happens a lot with, with, being, with when we get sick. When stuff happens and I can't do the thing I used to do. When I had a, I had a tumor, a non-malignant tumor in my ankle. And I, wasn't, I was told by the, by the orthopedist after the surgery, I wasn't going to be able to run anymore. And before that, I had run marathons. That was part of who I was. And I had to figure out the struggle of who am I if I can't run anymore. And many of us have faced that. But what Paul points to is that our identity is not based on what we do or what we have done but in the reality that God loves us. And all emerges out of that. There's a power in that. Paul's life, okay, we got the timeline. Is it there? 
Yay, something worked. Okay, the font's kind of small. Well, no, it's okay, we'll show a map later. But um, what this timeline shows is right after Jesus' death uh, is when his conversion is. And Paul has about 30 more years of ministry where he goes on a, to a lot of different places. He doesn't stay in the same place very often. I think of Paul as a good example of what the best of the itinerant ministry of the United Methodist Church. It's, it's, um, it's very biblical in that, that Paul doesn't go to like Damascus and stay there the rest of his life, even though people liked him and supported him. He keeps on going to another place and another place. Um, it doesn't work out. Itineracy does not always work out in the Pauline ideal, um, but it's, there's, there's hope there. And so he goes to all these places. He does all these things. He travels the world. Can you show the map? Okay, so here's a map of all the places he, he went to. And whenever you see him cross the sea, that was a super dangerous <clears throat> trip. You could only sail in the Mediterranean a few months of the year. The storms would come really quickly. The, the sea, the Mediterranean itself, is fairly shallow compared to the rest of the oceans. And so when a storm hits, waves get, it gets really crushing waves pretty quickly. There's not a, the depth to, for the, the wind of the storms to go in. He, he covers a lot of the Roman Empire, a lot of the world uh, that he knew. And what has been so powerful for me this week, especially preparing this, is realizing that the conversion of Paul is in many ways microcosm of the conversion of the world. That the world itself, the world in Jesus' time, acted kind of like pre-convert Paul. Righteous in themselves, full of themselves. The world today in many ways, acts like the pre-convert Paul. Righteous in itself, full of itself, unsure, contempt of others. Contempt of those who don't act in the same way, in need of conversion. And Paul's story of conversion, the the power of it, is he doesn't tell other people first, okay, you guys got to change your ways. He says, he begins with, God changed me. God changed me. I was going one way and God came down and turned my life around. And that new life is offered for you. He's not going around scolding. He's going around offering gifts. Gifts of new life. Gifts of purpose. And that's what brings us to to today, to All Saints Day. In a little bit, we're going to to read off the names of those whom we have lost this past year in the church. in, In those memories. And it is, it is powerful, it's powerful to hear, it's powerful to remember. But one of the ways of remembering saints in our lives and saints in the church is remembering that change is possible, that God has worked through people before. The same God that, that show, revealed God's self and the holiness of the people whom we love, the holiness of the people who have affected our lives, that same God can be working in us. The power of the saints is not how awesome they are, but how awesome God is. How awesome it was for God to pull us together, to bring people into our lives who can shape us, inform us, who can show us how to speak truthfully, who can show us how to, how to work hard, who can show us how to love our neighbor. Even after the shadow of death, God is present. And we don't need to look to ourselves to be reassured by that. In fact, when we look to ourselves for reassurance, that's oftentimes when we stray. 
We can look to those saints in our lives, those who have passed before us, but as well those who are living today and seeing like God has changed a life. And we need to all see ourselves as converts. This is what John Wesley's great realization in May of, of seven, in the 1730s when he was walking down Aldersgate Street and realized that God loved him, even him. And the love of God was shed abroad in his heart. And his heart was strangely warmed when he felt this sensation of the assurance of God's love for him. And we need to each seek God in that way. To not see ourselves as finished products. To not see ourselves as old dogs who cannot learn new tricks. To not see ourselves as just misunderstood by everyone else but to see ourselves as vessels of the Holy Spirit with the possibility of change in this world. That our lives can change like Paul's. Thank God we are not put into positions to be persecutors, but to look in, how have I held others in contempt? How have I pushed others out in my life? How have I kept God's love from others? To seek mercy in that. And remember, forgiveness comes by grace. That God offers life to each of us. The worst thing we can do is turn, turn it away. So my brothers and sisters, on this All Saints Day, I encourage you to think, to pray about the people in your lives whom you have lost. To think about how they have shown you how to live. And to open your heart up to the possibility of continuous conversion that God is still making something new in you. And God is making something new in Austin, Texas. And may God use us to bring about that reality. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.